you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 176th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we're continuing our conversation about self-discovery with Beth Romero. Beth was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. After a 30-year sojourn on the West Coast, she recently moved back to Philadelphia. In addition to having made her a pizza aficionado, her Italian-American East Coast background inspires the straightforward, humorous, and self-depreciating narrative style that characterizes her writing. As every good cook knows, the secret is in the salt. With a background and degree in psychology, Beth channeled her creativity into a successful sales and branding career. From VP to boss to happiness junkie, persuasive storytelling is her superpower. She showcases those skills to their fullest in her forthcoming book, Happy AF, Practical and Entertaining How-To Guide for Happiness. Thank you so much for joining us today, Beth. I'm really looking forward to getting your book. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And I hope you don't mind me saying happy AF. I like my show to be family friendly. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. Honestly, that's how it is on the title of the book too. So it's all good. It's all good. Okay. Excellent. What inspired you to write that book? It's so funny. You don't know the expression. They always say inspiration comes from two sources, either pain or vision. I was watching a show one time and the man said the pain pushes you until the vision pulls you. That would best describe how this book came about because mm -hmm. it started out of sadness, to be quite honest. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to sit down and write a book right now. No, I was going through a very traumatic part of my life and 2020... It's a culmination of factors. I call it an avalanche in the book that slowly led up to the demise of my happiness from like the breakup of a seven-year relationship. Then I had just purchased a new home and I lost my job and being a single mom in California. And then COVID hit 2020. And just when I was trying to figure out my life all over again, my father passed away from COVID in the really wow. early stages in April. And that's when things were crazy. Totally. That's when there were more questions and answers and, and literally like only five people could go to his funeral. My mother was in an assisted living facility and she wasn't even allowed to leave because if you left, then you weren't allowed to be back in because everything was on lockdown in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Oh, so it yes. was just crazy. It was terrible. And I was across the country in social isolation because I lived in California and California had pretty stringent stay at home recommendations or orders more so than the rest of the country. So it was this perfect storm of everything hitting at once. And I just hit rock bottom. <laughs> My father was 80, and I know some people aren't even afforded that luxury or privilege of that, but I wasn't ready for it to happen in that manner, in the sense of he was socially isolated in the hospital for six weeks. No one could visit him. This is when everybody was in the hazmat suits, and we weren't even able to go to the hospital. For him to pass with Alzheimer's in total isolation by himself without us there, like I said, it I just crippled me. Be devastating. I cannot it, it even imagine. Terrible. It was terrible. I'm my own worst emotional cutter because I would like lay there at night just imagining him with Alzheimer's going, where's my family? Why am I here by myself? Why is everyone in math? 
it was almost like a horror movie in those beginning stages, especially in the hospitals, because it was triage scenario. It was almost impossible to get updates because the hospitals were so inundated. This was in New Jersey. So it was, it was just terrible. And I basically spiraled down and I hit rock bottom. One day, I started Googling the opposite of depression, literally, because I was walking up the stairs carrying my laundry and I had a big mirror at the top of my stairs. And I looked in the mirror and I went, who are you? I didn't even recognize the person in front of me because I had let the grief and the depression consume me so much. And I started Googling, what is the opposite of depression? What is it? And I just started then on this journey of trying to find everything and anything that I could to like move the needle from rock bottom to back to my mountaintop because I just knew this wasn't working. Yes, I was still a single mom. I still had my beautiful children here. I still had to be that mom, that role model for them. That's when the idea for the book started to come as I started employing more of the strategies and the research. And honestly, Kim, when I say I studied, I literally drank from a fire hydrant of positive psychology because I had let myself go flat. I was like literally the cartoon character, like in the oh, whole no. like Wiley Coyote. Like I needed to do everything and anything. I knew it just wasn't going to be one thing in order to like get back to where I was. I just started then writing it down. And even when I started first writing it, I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a book. I just started writing here or there. Or sometimes in the middle of the night, I would wake up and I would have thoughts and I would come back down and I would start to write. And one day I was sitting there and I was like looking at all the different things I was writing. And I'm like, you know, I think I could have a book here. And that's literally how it came about. I always say I didn't set out to write the book, more the book set out to write me. <laughs> then I showed one of my best friends and he was like, this is really good. He goes, but maybe you want to change your name because there's some messy stories in here about you. No, that's okay. That's purpose. I was rock bottom, so I have to own it. And then honestly, it was a quote from Brene Brown that I had read because I was like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this book? And I was scrolling on Instagram, hi, numbing tool number 782. And a quote came across that maybe someday you'll tell your story and it'll be a survival guide for someone else. And I was like, that took the ego out of it. It took any type of grandiose thought out of it and made it more purposeful. Maybe this could help someone. And then it became a book. It's so funny how there's a blessing in everything if you just look for it. That's a very long, convoluted explanation of how it came about, but that's how it came about. And I loved it. I loved the process. I loved the process. I'm really proud of it. I really am. And I'm hoping that it'll help other people because it's so loaded with practical daily strategies that you can do to really just up your happiness factor. And it's not rocket science. It's nothing impossible. It's nothing daunting. And we literally explore everything because I say there's not a one size fits all. You can get to the same place. There's many different ways to get there. You try the different ones and see what works for you. But it sounds great. And it totally sounds born out of desperation. So yeah, I'm so well, glad that you created this book. It sounds fabulous. Thank you. There's literally over 2000 references in my book. That was one of the issues when we were publishing. I'm like, can we do the print smaller? Because someone's going to get mad that there's 72 pages of footnotes. A lot of it was based on clinical research. Mm -hmm. and research studies, which is a little bit of my background. Back when I went to graduate school, I was all about the clinical studies. And what I really wanted to do for the book that was really important to me, I wrote it with a very informal tone, like your girlfriend talking to you over margaritas, a little irreverent language, but everything is backed by clinical data. Everything, 100%. 
it was really important for me that I was able to marry that. I just didn't want it to be all my spouted opinion and conjecture of, hey, do this, do that, do that. I really wanted to be, okay, and in this Harvard study, this is what was cited, but I wanted to deliver the message in a way that was engaging and appealing, not literary melatonin, not some of the research where I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall asleep. I hope I achieve that. I'm really curious, Beth, how you define happiness, both for yourself and just in general, if there's any differences. I want to be very thoughtful in this answer. Happiness for me, and I talk about this in the book too, and this is one of the things that I really learned. Happiness is a choice. It's not really a result. So many people, we buy into that deferred happiness plan. I'll be happy once I meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. I'll be happy if I get that promotion. I'll be happy when my children get into college, whatever that may be, as opposed to really just being in the now. I have found happiness is just being in the present, not looking down the line, what if, but really in this moment. And that probably was the greatest gift that ever came out of this book. And all this research was, yes, I was going to do all these things to help with that endeavor, but really happiness is being present in this moment. That was the biggest change for me because I'd always been so future goal oriented. And it's not to say not to have vision or goals, but you do. But you get so caught up in that future vision that the moment that you're in becomes a blur. And I wasn't going to live in the blur anymore. (laughs) Having appreciation for how the day unfolds, no matter how that would be. That's a really big one for me. And also the second thing is that people think of happiness as a woo-woo esoteric term. It's really a daily practice. Your choices that you make in and out every single day all add up to your happiness meter in terms of going from your sleep, your diet, your exercise, your gratitude, being in connection. Every choice that we make can either add to your happiness equation or detract from it. And so when in the beginning of 2020, when everything was falling apart, my relationship, my job, my dad, who I just adore dying. Everything I did at that time just did everything to take away from my happiness. I was textbook, don't do this. I was the entire don't list. The biggest challenge then, especially when you're so heavy on your don't, was then to start adding on again. It's a daily in and out. Just like you can't say you're going to, hey, I'm going to, I want to run an Ironman race and then do nothing. (laughs) Then you have to do your daily things in order to get there. It's, It's kind of the same philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a snap of the fingers, but I love that you said happiness is a choice because you know my podcast is called Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. It's just the truth of our lives are the sum total of the choices we've made. And a hundred percent. I say that in the book in regards to happiness, 100%. I love that you discovered that. Is the power of being in the present moment the biggest takeaway for readers or is there something else? One, I want them to know that happiness is a choice. And two, that rock bottom isn't what defines us. It's our bounce that defines us. I say this to my kids all the time. We're going to fall. It's going to happen. That does not define who you are. It's your bounce back that really defines. So I want them to come away from reading this really motivated and inspired because at some point it may have varying levels and look different people, but we're all going to have our own version of a rock bottom. 
when you're in it, it seems very lonely and terrible and isolated. And just know you're not alone. We've all experienced it and we can all get out of it. And one step at a time, just like your descent into rock bottom or depression didn't happen in the blink of an eye, nor does happiness. There's no magic cure. You can't just be like, hey, I'm going to be happy. You literally have to put one foot in front of the other and do the decisions and the choices on a daily basis to help you get there. But you can get there. And before you know it, I always say to my kids, fake it till you make it. Because before you know it, it's real. There were times when I was, after reading things, I would, okay, I'm going to go for a walk outside and enjoy nature. You know what I mean? Like I literally had to make myself do it or like, okay, my gratitude journal. And I had to think, really, really think to like, what am I going to put in my gratitude? And it didn't feel authentic until suddenly it did. One of my favorite parts is talking about the neuroscience behind Mm -hmm. happiness and brains and how our thinking affects everything and how literally our thoughts and our affirmations are such a huge indicator of your happiness levels. There's so many things in the book, but that was another big one for me, changing my thought processes and just really having those affirmations serve me as opposed to not. Right. If you're sitting around saying, man, my life sucks. I'm so lonely and unhappy. You're going to have a life that sucks and you're going to be lonely and unhappy. A hundred percent. And literally it's neuro. And I, I say this to my kids all the time and I try to say it to them in very easy language, but I'm like, there's a thing in your brain called the reticulary activating system. And what it does is it picks up the messages that you tell them. And then it literally looks for things throughout the day to support that narrative. If you're saying, God, it sucks and I'm lonely. Your reticulating activating system is literally working like little minions in your brain, picking up things to try to support that narrative because that's what you're telling it. Flip side is true. You say, I'm happy, I'm grateful, I'm beautiful at any age, whatever it is that you want to say, then your mind will start to pick up things to support that narrative. I tell them your thoughts, it starts there. It really does. That's why that's actually one of the earliest chapters is the thoughts because nothing else, your goals, your vision, nothing else. If you still have this terrible thought process going on, everything else is really going to be a struggle. It's so interesting because in 1987 and a little while ago, I took my first training in something called choice theory psychology by William Glasser. He also did reality therapy, but choice theory came later. He talked about how our brain chemistry, the serotonin, the dopamine, all of that that people talk about lines up with our thought. It's not that the chemical makes you feel sad. It's that you're thinking sad and the chemical is produced. It's the opposite. And everybody thought that he was nuts because he's talking about it's the thoughts that create the chemicals. It's not the chemicals that create the actions and the thoughts. And people really struggled with that because we're so much a medical model society that we don't want to think that you just have to change your thoughts. Not that that's an easy thing to do, but it's a heck of a lot easier and you have a lot more control of it than if you think you have to spend the rest of your life on medication to feel happy. Agreed. Agreed. He was groundbreaking and much ahead of his time. There's been so much clinical evidence and data to support that since then. Again, I have this whole chapter in it because what I love about it is that it's kind of what you said. You're not doomed. You're not doomed to this. We can rewire our brain and our neural pathways and have all those good neurotransmitters, serotonin, endorphins that come as a function of that. 
talk about a bunch of the studies. And one of the easiest ways to do that, literally rewire our brain is through gratitude. Yeah, 100. I have a gratitude partner and she and I do an email to each other every night. Oh, I love that. We list at least five things in our day that we're grateful for. And it has been a real blessing. We've done it for more than three years so far and I love it. Do you know that studies show by doing not only writing down your gratitude, but when you share it with someone else, imprints even more. So kudos to you. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) That's awesome. It's true. It's almost like having a gratitude accountability buddy. We say we're gratitude partners, but it is an accountability piece. You know, the other person's waiting for it and it's important. And so you do it. Oh my gosh, Kim, I love that. I love that. You mentioned a lot of strategies in your book, and I know it's not a one-size-fits-all, but could you share with us maybe three of the strategies that you found work great for you? Three. How many? We want people to buy the book, so we don't want to give it all away. No, 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 no. True, true, true. But it's like trying to pick your favorite child. It's so hard because you love each and every one. Again, gratitude was a game changer. Doing it, being in it daily, writing it down. It sounds so simplistic, like how could this really affect my mood? But I had let my gratitude pretty much lapse during 2020. Flexing that muscle again primes the pump for everything else. From the reticulating activating system that we talked about, starting to look for that, to support that narrative, to just changing my thought processes, to actually seeing that no matter what, there's silver linings in everything. It's something I won't start my day without 100%. The other one for me, and it's not a one size fits all, but faith. Faith was another one. I have a chapter on grace and faith and gratitude and getting connected to my faith again was also very helpful. So having my gratitude not just go this way, but this way, (laughs) horizontal and vertical gratitude. And I find that I start my day every day doing that. And that was also very, very important to me. And then the thoughts and the affirmations. Don't get me wrong. I did everything else. I did the exercising. I did the walks in the nature. I watched what I was eating with healthy foods. I cut the daily wine, (laughs) thinking that the wine was going to make me feel better. But the thoughts and the affirmations, I just knew, okay, you are what you think. You do what you think. Everything starts there from visions and goals on down. So really trying to rewire my brain in terms of what my thoughts were that was critical. And affirmations. It's so funny because growing up on the East Coast back in the day, when you would hear, oh, gratitude and affirmations or meditation, you would roll your eyes like, oh God, okay, (laughs) go hug a tree, whatever. And it was those very mechanisms that I found the most profound gains. That's awesome. And I do all of those things. So I'm happy to hear that. I like to ask all of my guests this question because it lines up with the title of my show. Of all the choices you've made in your life, can you share one with us that had a significant positive impact for you? What comes to mind is probably my most recent choice, and it was a very scary choice. I was born on the East Coast, and I grew up here until I was about 23 or so. And then I moved out west to Arizona and California and really fell in love with the lifestyle and the sun. And my family, luckily, because they were kind of vacation destinations, my family would always come out to visit. So I got to see my family a lot. If you would have asked me four or five years ago, Beth, would you ever move back east? I'd be like, 
oh God, no, like, I'll come visit, but like I am here. I've been out here 30 years. And then it only takes a once in a lifetime pandemic to change everything. It was the pandemic, the social isolation, the not being able to be with my family in the way that I wanted to, my dad passing in that manner that I made the really scary decision to uproot our lives and move back east across the country again to be closer to family. It's been the best decision I've ever made. Just to be in the bosom of my crazy Italian family all over again and having my nieces and my nephews, who they all live in the city, my brothers, and being closer to my mother as well, who's in the suburb in New Jersey. That's just been the greatest thing ever. And so my daughters, they moved here as well. My oldest starting in Drexel here in Philadelphia. She's starting this week. Something that four years ago I couldn't even have imagined, like a total pick up my life and move. It's just been tremendous. And it was really scary. It was so different when I moved out here 25 years ago. Like I was just me. If I made a bad decision or not a wrong decision, I could fly with it because it's just me. But now it was me and my children. So I had to really give it a lot of thought because it impacts them as well. And I always tell the kids, everything you want in life is on the other side of fear. Everything. If you're scared of something, that probably means you should do it. scary as it was to make that decision, by pushing through that, it's been such an incredible blessing. I love being on the East Coast again. I love being around the people. It's been awesome. Very nice. So I want to let you know that we're coming to the end of our time together. And I like to ask if you have anything you'd like to add that we didn't get a chance to already talk about. I loved your question. So I appreciate all of them. Just that I hope that people will get the book and read it. One of the greatest blessings for me was all my best friends. They served as my beta readers during the process. I would like write a chapter. I'd send it out to them. I'd be like, what do you think? And they'd give me feedback and we'd go from there. But one of my favorite parts about it was that they would say, oh, you know what? That really resonated with me. And I started doing that. Or I started doing that and I saw a difference. Even them telling me that made me so happy. Even just the littlest thing, even if it's something as silly as accepting the compliment or that's the part about that you talked about how music can really influence your mood and the effects on your brain. I started listening to this type of music. They're practical applications. It's nothing that's so daunting. You're like, oh, what? Music can actually affect my mood or stuff like that. Absolutely. A hundred (laughs) percent. That was so gratifying, knowing that they took something from it and it made an improvement in their life, no matter how small. This really isn't an ego project for me. It's more like I ha- my daughters are reading it and they're in high school. And I would love, I wish, if I could have my druthers, it would be that they would teach a class like this, even in high school or middle school. I know they've embraced it in colleges and so forth, but I feel like to set our children up in this way with practical applications that can really change the quality of their life and their happiness would be incredible. It would just be incredible for them. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping people will read it. They'll pass it on. If the mother, they'll help with their children in just in talking about thoughts and so forth. Because in the generation that I grew up in, that wasn't so much. Yeah, our parents certainly weren't telling us to change our thoughts. That's No, sure. no, 100%. I loved what you said. I think the favorite thing that you said is not to let the fall define you, but yeah. to be defined by the bounce back. Because in choice theory, we're really big on focusing on what we have control over. And so much of the things that knock us down in life, we didn't cause. They just happen. 
COVID just happened to the whole entire world. Nobody caused it. Your dad died. That was not anything you had any control over. We do control the bounce back. The problem is not everybody has the information they need to bounce back. You can't bounce back if you don't know how to bounce back. So you wrote a book that gives people the step-by-step techniques, tools, things they can try that may or may not work for them, but they'll find some that work for them and they'll be able to feel happier, maybe even happy AF. I love your summary. That was perfect. (laughs) Of course, tell us when your book is launching and how people can get their own copy. Sure. It's launching November 14th. And it's at all the typical booksellers from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, online, pretty much distributed everywhere. There are links on my website to all of the booksellers in order to get it. It's BethRomeroAuthor.com. And I would love it if you just came by the website, signed up, said hi, because I would love to stay in touch, get feedback. I'm looking to write another book and I've started preliminary research on it as well, because I loved the writing process. I would just love to stay in touch with any of the readers and I'd love to hear their feedback too. And their stories, because stories matter. I have a lot of stories in my book because that's how we learn. We learn through stories. I agree. All my books are storybooks in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So BethRomeroAuthor.com, if people want to reach you for more information, do they go through the website? There's email and everything there, all the contact information is there. So that would be great. And I would love to hear from anyone. All right. Perfect. I really appreciate you joining with us today, Beth. I know that your book isn't coming out for another about month and a half, but I really appreciated you fitting into our self-discovery month. I oh, think I'm that thrilled. This, this book was perfect for that. I will be signing up to know when your book is out and you can <laughs> count on me getting a copy, at least oh, one. You're perfect. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kim. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be changing the conversation to DEIB with Gwendolyn Tucker. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.